Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 104 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have a time, if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Tonight we break down WrestleMania 36. This show allegedly too big for one night, which means this is a podcast too big for one co-host. Joining me first, my regular Wednesday night co-host, Stephen Jefferson Douglas Cook. Steve, how are you, sir? Oh, hey, hey, hey. How you doing, Steve? I am fantastic. Good, doing well. Doing some WrestleMania. Living off the vibes. Loving life, as somebody used to say back in the day. Living life, definitely. Like Michelle McCool in the old boneyard. Darn certain. So, and that is going to lead us to our second co-host, making his long-awaited return, Jeremy Lambert Jr. Third. Jeremy, how are you? Are people like really anticipating this? Is this is this like a big return? I'm I'm on the I'm with Steve Cook. This is the best you could do for me on my return, Larry. Steve Cook. Well, you didn't request anything else, and actually, you agreed to this months ago. So, you should <laughs> actually. I I requested Steve Cook. Where is Sam or Katie? Where is that ass? I don't know where the fuck Sam or Katie is. You tell <laughs> he's me. He's Lebanon, isn't he? <laughs> he is in Lebanon. I he, hope so. I hope he's still there. You never know over there. He's bitching at people on Twitter about their bad footy takes, man. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Don't get him started on the bad, bad NBA takes. Oh my gosh, guy never stops. <laughs> I hear them every day in text message, every single day. Uh, that's right. So we are back together, Jeremy. It's good to have you back, my friend. And uh, Steve, you're here, and we are going to review the big two night WrestleMania 36 extravaganza. No fans allowed, and uh, you know it was a. Uh, it was one of those things, a lot of people, oh, they shouldn't do the shows, these shows are going to suck, nothing's going to be good on these shows, and a lot of those takes were wrong, a couple of them were right, and we're going to get into that now. WrestleMania 36, night one, took place on Saturday night, pre-show match, Jeremy, I'm going to go to you first, Cesaro defeating Drew Gulak, four and a half minutes. Cesaro broke out the UFO. Yeah, he did. Uh, that's really... The, the biggest thing that stood out to me in this match. It was it was fine. It, you know, they didn't have a lot of time. They wrestled in front of nobody. It was weird. Like it's WrestleMania and it's in front of nobody. But and Cesaro and Gulak, they're pros though. They did the best they could with the time and the circumstances. And hey, Cesaro broke out the UFO. That's all that matters in this match. That's right. Steve, did you see this match? Yes, I saw this <laughs> did I see this match. Yes I did. It's a very good time. That UFO was awesome. And I will. I I have to have the mean take here that I think this match with Cesar and Gulak got better re- reviews than it would have if it was in front of a crowd, because everybody online would have been bitching. Oh, the crowd's not paying any attention to him because the crowd wouldn't have been paying t- attention to him. You know how it is. I mean, that's you know what it guys. Unfortunately, it's not exactly the wrong take because I mean, the first match at Mania, there's barely anybody there, and it usually does kind of get ignored. So. Um, yeah, it would, they would have had the same match if this was on the main card at WrestleMania because it would have been on the kickoff show in front of nobody as well. Yeah. And let's be honest, even there, if there are 65,000 people there, you know, as much as we like Cesar and Drew Gulak as performers, their style kind of tends to draw that uh, kind of lack of a reaction we hear on these shows. Well, those people are fools. <laughs> they, they are, but they're there. I mean, see, that's... 
that's a take, Larry Zonka, that I think we need to do away with because I think if there's one thing we've learned during this whole situation, it's that live crowds are good. Live crowds certainly can be good. But yeah, I enjoyed this. It was solid. It was only four and a half minutes, but these guys are good. The smart thing is, is they didn't like waste any time. They kept the action going. And uh, yeah, busting out the fucking UFO is always going to be money for me. So a fine little start on our pre-show. Stephanie McMahon welcomed us to the show, basically telling us she created everything and that we should love them for putting on WrestleMania still. Yeah. We got a little America the Beautiful montage with the various stars that have performed at Mania in the past, leading to Gronk welcoming us to the show. Unfortunately, Mojo Raleigh arrived as well, and they were all hyped up. Uh. In the worst April Fool's Day jokes and Sam Roberts on NXT commentary, JBL was back. Having fun, Michael. <laughs> Having fun, Michael. Here's a step up from Sam Roberts. Come on now. Well, he was, That's but sure. I, I mean, uh, it's hard to be a step down from Sam Roberts. <laughs> I'm sure they could have found somebody. So we Gronk. Start... Yeah, Gronk commentary. Uh, don't remind me. The... Dude, the worst <laughs> part is there were rumors that Sam Roberts was going to do Mania commentary, and I was dreading it. Thankfully, Ugh. that was just a nasty, horrible rumor. We started off WrestleMania 36 proper night one with the Kabuki Warriors defending against Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. New champions in about 15 minutes as Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss picked up the win, Steve. What did you think of our opener? I thought it was a nice little opener. They got a lot of time to shine. Again, we'll probably be saying a lot during the evening. It's kind of tough when you don't have that live crowd reacting to them. It's kind of awkward when they're playing to a crowd that's not really there. But I thought the ladies did the best best they could with the situation. Asuka and Kyrie doing some good stuff. That nice uh, big elbow from Kyrie. Very much appreciated. Nikki Cross now apparently uh, rips open her shirt during matches. Is that has that been happening for a while? And I missed it, or what's the deal with it? No, I think that, that was new. new. That, that was a WrestleMania special for everybody. He's trying to be Brandy Chastain or something in the World Cup. Is sure. that what they're trying to do with that? I'm not quite He's Hulk sure. Hulk Hogan. Uh, I'm going to Brandy Chastain. I don't know who this Hulk Hogan character is. Good <laughs> Never heard of him. Chastain did shirt over the head. Hogan did. Never heard of the. Yeah, in any event. Um, Nice little match. I, I, I was kind of thinking that the champions would retain, but it seemed like there was kind of a trend throughout both nights of having the most of the good guys get the win. So, nice little title change for Alexa and Nikki, and uh, you know you feel good about it. nice little way open show. Yeah, um, I thought it might have been a like just slightly a bit too long, uh, and I noticed one or two like kind of obvious edits that weren't smooth, but. I thought it was good overall, and I really like Nikki's performance and uh, the title change I kind of expected, but thought it was a good little opener that I overall enjoyed. Jeremy? Big fan of the uh, Bliss Cross applesauce. Happy to see them win. No offense to the Kabuki Warriors. I mean, they had the stuff with Becky and Charlotte, but I think they see Asuka as a single star, and Kyrie's just kind of there, and once you get injury history, you unfortunately have injury history. And Bliss Cross... Are, that's a team that can go on all brands. They can go on all brands. They can feud with whoever. It's good stuff. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with you. I do think that they're going to see more of Oscar as a singles going forward. And there are rumors that Kyrie may leave here very soon at the end of her contract. I've heard some speculation along those lines. Apparently, Kyrie is very high on the list of uh, some of the brass over in that other permission. Yeah, plus uh, stardom would obviously make overtures to get her back. So. I mean, she wouldn't be hurting for work. No. But no. Uh, we'll see what happens. 
Sammy cut a promo on his match with Brian, vowing to leave his Intercontinental Champion. Baron Corbin cut a really bad promo and like played harmonica. Didn't need to see that. I skipped over it, so good and yay me. He then demanded that the referee count out Elias and award him the match via forfeit since he had killed him on SmackDown. Unfortunately for him, Elias was not dead. He returned. He beat the shit out of him with a guitar. Match officially started. Elias ended up winning in about nine minutes. Jeremy, what did you think of Elias and King Corbin? Shut. All right. That's it. My, that's in, de- in death analysis. Love it. Look, it went way too long. It did not need to go nine minutes. Neither of these guys are, are that good. And it, it wasn't a good match. What, what more do you want me to say? I, like, now Elias is just the next guy to feud with Corbin for six months because that's how long every single Baron Corbin feud lasts. Yeah. And I'm not going to really disagree with you. I thought it was, like, okay. I do agree it was too long. And here's the thing. I don't understand why you would book this match in an empty arena setting because these are two guys that can't even thrive in front of a crowd in terms of wrestling. You know, Elias can obviously get a crowd reaction when he's doing his guitar stick, and Corbin can get heat at times. But, like, in terms of when they wrestle, they can't even, like, do well in front of a crowd. Then you're going to put them in an empty arena setting where the only noise is going to be, like, the mad hitting and Corbin talking, like, really bad trash, like middle school powerpuff football trash, you know? Not even, like, good NFL trash. So, Steve, what do you think? The main thing I took away from this is that Elias' theme music. All right. They played it after the match. I was shocked. I didn't know the guy had a theme song. (laughs) It does suck. What is this? Like, they're playing a... Is there a band there? No, it's his theme song. Wow. That's crazy. You would think that... But I have nothing else to add other than that. That's all I got. You would think that Elias would actually have, like, some cool theme music since he's, like, a musician dude, and he doesn't. No, he doesn't. I mean, it's... It is what it is. I'm a little surprised he didn't get to play America Beautiful this year, but I guess there's always next <laughs> oh, year. Oh, yeah. So we moved on to another title match, the Raw Women's title match. Becky Lynch defending against Shayna Baszler, and Becky Lynch beat Shayna Baszler clean as a sheet in 850 via pin. I thought they had a well-laid-out uh, physical match, a good struggle to the fight at the point, and... um. I thought that it played well, but I I think that Becky winning was absolutely the wrong call unless Ronda is coming back. I think it's just, why do you build up Shayna, have her like run through everybody at the chamber? Becky has this year-long title run. She was getting kind of cocky. Felt like a perfect time to change the title. Not a fan of that, but I thought the match was good. Jeremy? Uh, that was good. I like that they, they worked quick with a quick sprint. Uh, the opening segment with them just kind of punching each other was really good. The finish... They do this finish all the time with Shayna, so it it was probably going to be flat in front of a live crowd. It was really flat in front of absolutely no one. It come up with a new finish to beat Shayna. It's the same thing every single time. I don't mind Becky winning because I don't like I don't know the the future of of the summer. They could just be doing nothing. You may as well just have Becky be the champion. You can hit the year mark. You can send her on Sports Center to do Skype interviews. Like you're not doing any of that stuff with Shayna Baszler. Like Becky, during this hiatus, if that's what they're, what it's going to end up being, like Becky can still be front and center and, and putting stuff out out there for the company. Shayna's not going to do any of that. I'll give you that. That's at least a fair point. Steve, your thoughts. Yeah, that is a very fair point, as a matter of fact. And uh, 
I I saw a lot of people thought there was an upset, it was unexpected, but to be honest with you, I was not surprised. I mean, Becky Lynch been a dominant champion for many, many months and years, it feels like, at this point. I know Shayna ran through the rest of the division like a hot knife through butter, but uh, to me, just not a big surprise that the first time that Shayna gets a title shot, she doesn't quite get the job done. And I know they use that finish over and over again on her, and maybe the next time they have this match, which they will at some point, Maybe Shayna will have the counter for it. That would be nice mm-hmm. if they actually How about do that? that. Psychology, yeah. She should have had the counter for it in this match. She's get, this is the only way she loses. Well, you know, once you get on the main stage of Raw, she has other people backstage that she can talk to. Like, uh, well, JBL is there backstage. She can talk to JBL. Wrestling God. I think Shayna was just intimidated on the big WrestleMania stage working in front of 400 chairs. And also that freaking big rig that Becky drove into, that probably didn't tame did her a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Look, I've seen Shayna's MMA fight. She's used to working in front of 400 chairs. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Fucking out of the Showtime Challenger Series days, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Christ, I remember covering those things. <laughs> had another, had to, I guess. another title match, IC title match up next. Our champion, Samuel Zayn, defending against Daniel Bryan. We had Gulak, Nakamura, and Cesaro at ringside. Those three got involved with each other at various points. At the end of the day, Sami Zayn defeats Daniel Bryan nine and a half minutes via pin. Jeremy, what were you thinking on this one? Uh, I thought it started weird with Sami doing his heel stick. Like, I get it, but people just wanted to see these guys wrestle, and they were playing characters, which, fine. Uh, the, the finish was kind of weak, but it was it was Brian and Zayn. I wish they would have gotten more time. Like, they got us the same amount of time as Corbin and Elias. You couldn't cut that match in half and give that time to this match. Uh, I What sucks is it'd be nice to, to see a follow-up on this at the next pay-per-view where they could possibly get more time, but we don't know if any of that stuff is going to happen. So it's like, that's the finish is a little flat. And like, that might be the end of this for a while. And just, it just, who knows? Steve. We know Daniel Bryan did not want to hold the Continental championship. He had no interest in that because I mean, <laughs> Bryan's pretty much booking all his own stuff these days, it seems. And, uh, that's they asked true. him probably, they probably asked me one to go over here. He's like, mm, no, I'm good. I don't need to do that. I, I should probably be going home anyway because I got a kid on the way. So yeah, just uh, yeah, let's have keep Sammy with the title. They kind of worked that old Memphis heel gimmick. And I was talking to Larry before the podcast about how it's amazing how Sammy Zan has gone from being like one of the biggest work rate guys of all time to not doing any work in the ring whatsoever. But hey, I don't blame him. It it seems get. Uh, it gets him making money, so good for him. There was a match that was, I hate to say it was a match that was there with these two guys, but it pretty much was that. And at least Brian got a nice pop heading into the match. He got the, he got the yes chance from uh, Mojo and Gronk, so good for him on that regard. There you go. Um, I thought it started off actually pretty well. I didn't mind the heel shenanigans and the stalling because it led to Brian basically beating the shit out of Sammy and getting some comeuppance on him. And I thought that was fun, and then, like, it just, it faded into kind of every cliche TV-style finish, and I just, that kind of took me out of it. So I thought it was, like, really solid, didn't hate it, but was kind of hoping for more from these two because it's Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan. They have that reputation, that's true. 
And then Zane and Zane and Nakamura got it figured out. They they're cashing checks. They're doing minimal work. Nakamura is surfing every day. Sami Zayn is is fighting for Syria. They got this business figured out. They're they're done busting their ass in, in front of no people on ladder wars and G ones and stuff. That they, they're doing it right. They should smart up their boy Cesaro because he's still out here working out every day and trying to do shit. That's What's very true. What's his deal? I'll tell you what, I've talked about this before and people got all upset, but Nakamura leaving New Japan, coming to WWE was always a retirement plan for him. He was fading down his New Japan stretch. He knew he wasn't one of the top three or four guys anymore. He knew he wasn't going to want to work that style forever. He had always wanted to move to America, got that big fat WWE deal. And then this motherfucker is a great worker because you know why? He went in there with that debut match with Sami Zayn. And he yep. gave everybody that one epic match. And then he said, I'm good, brothers. That's right. It's sweet surfing, <laughs> fucking my wife, collecting checks, and that's all I'm going to do. Occasionally hit AJ in the nuts a few times, and I'm done. Hold on. Who's Nakamura's wife? She doesn't work for a company, does she? I don't know who the hell his, knife, his wife is, but I'm sure he's surfing. <laughs> he's hanging 10 and banging his wife and having a good life. Good for that man. Are you sure he's not banging the local ring rats? I mean, I'm just saying. Nakamura is a classy gentleman, I will have you know. <laughs> How dare you, Stephen Cook? <laughs> Working lats and banging rats, and now the phrase goes. There you go. Hanging and banging. But, no, but yeah, no, knock, knock, knock has it figured out. Sammy has it figured out. And again, for as frustrating as it is, because I would love to see great Sammy Zayn matches, the dude busted his ass to get to WWE. He's had a ton of injury issues. If this is the rule they want him in, being a glorified manager and working kind of Memphis-style heel matches, if my brother's collecting a paycheck and happy, I'm happy for him. I imagine you know? for Drew Gulak, too, getting a nice little push out of this. Yeah, exactly. Being deep Rise best friend. I like it. And look Good at yeah, Who would have thought about this? Cesaro Nakamura... Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, Drew Gulak, and Drake Younger all in the match on the same WrestleMania. Yeah. It's like Good you time. would you would have lost money betting on that one ten years ago. Mm. No, I've lost a lot of my bet on things ten years ago. I've lost my bet things a few weeks ago. I was gonna say ten days ago, probably with you. <laughs> Seriously, come on now. Yeah. We can't bet on anything now. Well, I guess we could bet on this shit. I don't know why you would have. You could bet on it, and then they pulled a lot of the betting stuff on it because stuff was getting out. But speaking mm. of stuff getting out, we had the SmackDown tag team title ladder match involving no tag teams because the Miz got sick, went to work, and pissed everybody off. They had to pull yeah. him out of the match, and then they didn't even announce it until like Saturday afternoon when they were like, oh, yeah, the Miz got hurt on SmackDown, so we're going to have a tag team title ladder match with singles wrestlers. And I just want to reiterate the fact that I brought up in my preview that the fucking nuts on Vince McMahon asked these motherfuckers to do a ladder match in front of no people. Uh, yeah. But John Morrison defeated Kofi Kingston and Jimmy Uso in just under 19 minutes via pin. I will say this. These three motherfuckers didn't care that there was nobody there. They worked their asses off. I have a great respect for them because to do everything they did without the adrenaline rush and response of a live crowd and actually make it worth something watching is a huge credit to them. 
thought the finish was a little lame and flat, but overall, I thought this was actually pretty fucking great. Steve. They're all out of their minds, let's be honest, these three guys. I mean, you, you, kinda, you give them a lot of credit, and I give them a lot of credit, too. But they're just killing themselves, taking all these crazy bumps for no reason, no purpose. It's completely insane, and I love them for it. I enjoyed the match until you mentioned that suck-ass finish. And I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed because I thought that the best finish would have been for one guy to grab one belt and for another guy to grab another belt so we could have the good old-fashioned uh, TNA weird-ass tag team champions. The Triple X AMW weird tag run thing, yeah. I thought Jimmy Uso and Kofi Kingston would have been a kick-ass tag team. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, that would have been interesting. It would have been, been freshening things up a little bit. Vince, Vince Russo respects your line of thinking, Steve. Damn, right. You know... Me and Vinny Rue were tight. We go way back, back in the day. Yes, sir. Jeremy, They're crazy. These guys are insane. Jeremy, what did you think of our ladder match? Uh, I would have liked a Kofi Kingston, Jimmy Uso tag team. <laughs> I, I kind of thought somebody else went in that on my timeline as well, and I thought that might have been, like, I thought that was a good idea uh, given the circumstances and stuff. I didn't mind the finish. I wish Morrison could just, like, hold on to the belts as he crashed. I know it's kind of a, a tough ask, but... If he holds on to him and then like lifts them both up and just like gives a cocky little smile, it could have been better. I'm glad they did not kill each other. They didn't take any really stupid bumps. Uh, like Jimmy fell from the ladder to the floor. They edited it so bad that you know it was a crash pad and at least they were safe and he didn't just crash to the floor. The problem was it just it looked like shit and I don't know how it kind of made the match. There was no other than that, there was no like super terrible. I thought they did the ladder bridge on the outside i thought somebody was going to crash through that but morrison just did the he like skipper rope walk and then the spanish fly into the ring and uh john morrison a, a young kurt hennig according to jbl oh christ i know right <laughs> oh, yes, I mean, because uh, kurt hennig was known for his parkour skills well i mean mr perfect did take some stupid bumps back in his day but he wasn't doing on them off a goddamn ladder <laughs> mr perfect was not look he was perfect he could have done it he knew he didn't have to, though. He was not doing whatever twisting 360 flips or whatever yeah. the hell Morrison. Well, does. he did some flips, but uh, it was you know, always when he was selling the, the leg. Until, Yeah, <laughs> the liar match did not get invented until WrestleMania 10. That's what Shawn Michaels told me. That's what they Shawn said. Michaels never told a lie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Nothing to do with the screw job, brother. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. So, um, so I thought on up to this point that was the best thing on the show. That led us to Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins, a feud that in some way feels like it's been going on for six years on Raw. And this was going to be the, the hopefully the big culmination. I fucking hope so. Kevin Owens ends up defeating Seth Rollins via disqualification. And then they continue the match because Kevin Owens calls him a bitch and wants to finish this match in a no DQ setting. Seth, who was usually the smart one through this, is a stupid heel and accepts. They continue the match. Kevin Owens ends up doing a big flying elbow off the WrestleMania sign and then hits the stunner for the win in about 16 minutes. Jeremy, Kevin Owens beats Seth Rollins. Your thoughts? The stopping just to turn into a DQ, no DQ match was dumb. I don't know why they, why they did that. It kind of sucked the life out of the, the match by that point for me. 
And but Kevin Owens dive off the sign, splash off the sign, sent on off the sign. Well, it was awesome. You know, he tweeted that he wanted to do it off the pirate ship, which would have been just fucking amazing if he could have pulled it off. But off the sign was really good. Owens wins. Cool. I kind of thought Rollins was actually going to win because Drew's spoiler. Drew's the champion now and he needs maybe if they're going to keep wrestling, he needs a heel to face. And like Seth Rollins was right there for him to face. I'm sure people don't want Seth Rollins on the spot. Like, who is a heel for Drew to face right now, assuming they actually run shows? Well, I think you obviously move King Corbin over the Raw. Fuck <laughs> you! <laughs> I'm, I'm never. Larry, you brought this guy in. Really? <laughs> this guy? Listen. You think that's bad? Did you hear Radlich in the preview podcast talk about booking an elimination chamber with Kane Velasquez and fucking Gronk and a bunch of fuckers? No, no. Trust me, Steve is a godsend right now. Mark Radlich is into that funny hippie lettuce, as far as I Radlich is into some weird stuff. But as far as I mean, you can. Uh, yeah, uh, we all know that wins and losses don't matter that much in WWE. They can easily make Seth Rollins the next contender for Drew's for title. There's, they can do that easily. No problem there. Yeah. Just have him beat Owens on Raw or some shit, or even just make a challenge. They don't They don't really care that much about wins and losses. That that part doesn't bother me. The uh, I'm kind of with Lambert on how the... I thought the DQ finish was kind of lame, but then coming back was kind of, you know... I do mark out whenever somebody uses a ring bell, because as the old saying goes, what the hell used the bell? And the best part about using the bell was in that empty arena. It had a great sound. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And I was I was kind of stunned that that WrestleMania sign was able to hold Kevin Owens. I was waiting for that damn thing to fall. Dare you? I know. I was waiting. You know. I mean, he's 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 got a few pounds on him. You know. How dare you? Few extra pounds. We all we all kind of do now. Let's be honest. I mean, we ain't got much else to do. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I think the, the, the faux DQ was just such a poor choice because I thought they were building a really, really good match up until then. And if you wanted to make it a no DQ match, they really could have just at the start and booked it that way because the feud had enough heat with Rollins continually fucking over Owens and then Owens screwed him out of the tag title. So you easily could have made it a no DQ and gave it a grudge thing. Um, the stuff after the restart wasn't bad. And, excuse me, geez, uh, Kevin Owens did get his big moment with the Mania sign dive and everything. But that restart just feels so unnecessary. And I thought it killed the flow of a match that I thought was heading towards being really great. Like, overall, I thought it was good. Um, I just think it would have been better just working it as a singular no-DQ match. No restart bullshit. And um, the booking here is the kind of shame of this match because these guys work their asses off. And it really felt like creative held them back because we have to, we have to tell stories, damn it. And put smiles on faces. So we had a segment with Mojo Gronk and R-Truth, which led to uh, Gronk getting screwed out of winning the 24-7 title by Mojo. Poor R-Truth. I know. Poor guy. Why do you show up? Can't buy a win WrestleMania. Why do you show up? Yeah, why did he show up? <laughs> That's the best part. He came and said he was hiding because he has the 24-7 title. It was like, oh, R-Truth, you're so adorable. You, you hide at home like everyone else. What's wrong with you, R-Truth? He should go find Carmella and hang out with her. 
I wanted them to do the gimmick of, of R-Truth coming out and still thinking he's in, like, Raymond James. He's like, it's great to be here in front of 100,000 fans in the WWE Universe and do that whole thing, but they didn't go that way. Next up, we had the Universal Championship match, Bill Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. It went 2 minutes and 44 seconds and consisted of, like, five jackhammers and four power slams, or five spears and four power slams, and... Braun Strowman is the new Universal Heavyweight Championship. And you're wondering, what happened to Roman Reigns, right? Well, on SmackDown, they told us, breaking news, Braun Strowman is facing Goldberg. That's it. Fuck you. There's nothing to know. We're not going to talk about Roman. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> but Triple uh, H told us that there was going to be a compelling and unique explanation to this. Oh, Jeremy was telling me all about this one. Oh, he is all on board with that old bandwagon. <laughs> I had so many great ideas on how to pull Roman Reigns out of this match. And they literally just said, Braun's in the match. They, they didn't even say, like, Roman is out. It's just Braun is in. No, I mean, I, the, that triple threat ladder match got more of an explanation than Braun Goldberg did. Yeah. At least they, they lied and said Miz was injured. I had this great idea where Goldberg is in the, the performance center and he headbutts Matt Riddle's locker because he's got to headbutt something before the match. Sure. Riddle's locker and then Riddle just comes out and confront him and wins the title like that. And then just Roman, who knows what happened to him. But I had that that was my best one. But I had so many ideas on how to explain this and they they just tweeted it out. Well, you put way more thought into it than WWE did. Oh, dude, I, I did like a 10-minute bit. I, I I was rolling with ideas. So, um, yeah. so you know, Braun finally wins the big title. And I, I guess overall it was exactly what it needed to be. It shouldn't have been any longer with these two. Um, and I think Braun looked good because he survived Goldberg's big shots that The Fiend didn't. <laughs> But the thing is, yeah, the fiend's a weak ass. <laughs> fiend's a bitch. Oh, so it's like, here's, I guess, here's the questions. It's like, how long is it going to last? Which again is kind of hard to determine because we don't know what we're actually going to get wrestling wise. Is it too late for Braun right now? And I guess we'll find out. But um, yeah, I think they handled this poorly overall. Like Roman shouldn't have been working the show anyway. But to to come up with absolutely no fucking explanation was just shit. This sucked. <laughs> That's all I got. This was complete garbage up and down. I'm I have nothing positive to say about any of these developments. As far as when Braun Strowman loses the title, it'll probably be the next time they can have an actual show. When they can have Roman Reigns show up and beat him is probably when Braun Strowman loses the title. Is it too late for Braun to be the, the champion slash top guy? Yes. And I forget the third question, but uh, man, yeah, both these guys suck. It was terrible. I didn't like it. It wasn't good. Um, like Goldberg can't work. Uh, they, no. they they put the title on him so they could give Reigns his moment, and then everything got uh, screwed up, and so they had to go with Braun. And like Braun's not a great worker, and the spears looked bad. The power slams, the way Goldberg took them, didn't look much better. Braun's a champ. Uh, cool i i think i i'm with cook i feel like they're gonna try to get the title off him as quick as possible i think that actually might be a mistake like just just let him run with it but the ratings are going down anyway nothing matters 
pretty much. Juwan Braun Strowman appearing on SportsCenter and all late night talk shows looking like Hey, Braun yeah, Strowman. so it could bury some more independent federations. And if oh, if Braun God. shows up on ESPN to talk about his awesome softball playing dad, yes. Because <laughs> Braun Senior Braun... is fucking awesome. Uh, why didn't Braun Senior beat Goldberg then? I would have liked that. That would have been great. <laughs> that would have been spectacular. Best match on the show. <clears throat> So, good. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Good. Uh, I want Braun on ESPN just being like, "Yeah, all you losers sleeping in your car, like get a better plan." Uh, what a dipshit! Not <laughs> so, yeah, fuck that guy. Come on. I want to bury in the other leagues. Like, why aren't you NBA players and NHL players out there? It's supposed to be the playoffs. You're not running the playoffs. We're doing WrestleMania. Like, you should have gotten a better job. Yeah, LeBron James, why are you living yeah. in your mother's basement? Come on now. <laughs> Maybe you should find another fucking profession, man. Yeah. This will get Roman over. The crowd will cheer for Roman in this feud. <laughs> yeah. We, we've said that before, though. Ah, that's fair. <laughs> so we closed out night one of WrestleMania 36 yeah. with the go. Boneyard match yes. featuring old man Undertaker Mark Calloway Versus kind of older Alan Jones, AJ Styles in the fucking boneyard. Or as I like to call it, Michelle McCool's favorite vacation spot. Whoa, hey now. So The Undertaker and AJ Styles battled in the fucking boneyard, which was a cross between an old horror movie like Farm and Cemetery, I guess. They battled for 18 minutes and 45 seconds. The Undertaker finally overcame, beat the shit out of that little fucking big fish in a small pond, Alan Jones. Literally buried him at the end, which I'm sure Triple H approved of, because it's burial. And I gotta tell you guys, first of all, you guys know I love me some Lucha Underground. I love Grindhouse films, and I like wacky shit like this. The mileage will vary on this. I've seen a lot of Device's opinions, but when it was over... I felt like this was the WWE's best attempt at trying to do something something similar to Lucha Underground or the Broken Universe. It was way better than I had anticipated. It was, and this is this pissed some people off. This was a better match than a regular match these two would have had at this stage, especially in an empty arena, oh, because that, part of the that. Undertaker's fucking allure anymore. The only thing he has left. Is that fucking entrance into theatrics. But in front of no crowd, that would have meant absolutely shit. I thought the production was great. I thought they, more importantly, I I think the thing that really succeeded in this was they completely leaned into this gimmick, which you have to to make it work. I thought both guys were just great in it. AJ Styles got the fucking main event of WrestleMania. So, I mean, that made me happy and just... Overall, kind of against all odds, I thought this match was fucking great. I loved it. Jeremy. This rolled absolutely. From start to finish, the coming in in the hearse, and then AJ pops out and his theme starts playing. Undertaker rides in with some Metallica playing. Just just so great. It, it was a over-the-top action horror like redemption movie and it all worked for me i i love i love shit like this and 
I, I have nothing bad to say about this match. Everything clicked. I, maybe the only thing is Undertaker promised like unholy Trinity. And so I thought we were going to get like a cane appearance or something. I think that may have been missing. I would have also liked to see the Undertaker like put put the teardrop on his eye when he showed up behind AJ, like full dead man mode, like full superpower mode. But those are just minor complaints. No, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a couple small things that maybe could have made it better, but like, yeah, I mean, they're extremely small in the grand scheme of things. Steve, your thoughts? Well, Glenn Jacobs was too busy uh, trying to ignore <laughs> the coronavirus to try to do anything on our show. I'm not getting into politics. He was too busy not, you know, <laughs> too busy not doing anything about that. But man, I, this match, oh. And to the folks who thought that, you know, oh, well, maybe Undertaker and AJ Styles should have worked a regular match. I don't, I don't think anybody <laughs> should want to see Undertaker work a wrestler a regular match nowadays. We've seen it before. We've seen him try work with Roman Reigns, try work with uh, freaking Goldberg, this guy, that guy. It's, just, it's not really his thing anymore, and we don't want to see the Undertaker go out like that. We want to see Undertaker and these kind of overproduced, uh, you know, crazy, uh, crazy productions. And AJ Styles gets to go in there and kick some ass and. Much like Jeremy Lambert, I loved everything about this match. And I don't even have any minor criticisms, to be honest with you. It just, it did for me. And I wrote a column for 4 one about how this match pretty much uh, saved her wrestling. Let's be honest. It did. Well, there you go. Yeah. No, I mean, Damn. it's just, it's it, it was so much fun. Um, you can tell there was a lot of Jeremy Borash influence on this. Uh, it just it had a lot of the trademarks of the really well done Broken Universe stuff, and um yeah it's just I I think it's just it it delivered way more it was way more entertaining than a regular pro wrestling match between these two in 2020 would have been. The Undertaker's a legend we all respect that. AJ Styles I think we can all agree was absolutely amazing at one point, but for the past couple of years he's been slowed down. I I think the funniest take I saw from this was someone was upset that. Why do they keep putting old guys over young stars like AJ? Um, guys, pl- please let me inform you. I don't know if you realize this, because I guess AJ is a still a youthful-looking young man. AJ Styles is about to be 43 fucking years old. It's sad, Oz. Tombstone. Yeah. But he's not exactly a young spring chicken. Okay? I love AJ. The fact that AJ got the main event a mania... Losing to Undertaker is not... He loses absolutely fucking nothing. And the cool thing is, because of the current situation, the way they booked the ending, it makes perfect sense for AJ to be gone for a while now. And I think the other good thing coming out of this is, apparently from reports like Kurt Angle like was talking to Undertaker because Taker was upset about his last few matches. Kurt told him he should work with AJ because he'd probably have a great match and he could go out on a good match. And if this is the end for The Undertaker... I think it's a big thumbs up, man. But if it's not, they could probably milk this once or twice more for a Mania feature in the future if they had to, if he wants to still do it. But, I mean, I think if he's going to go out, this is the way to do it, man. Don't fuck around after all those horrible matches you had. People generally, from what I can tell, it seems like it's about 80 to 20 in terms of people loving it. And I don't think people are going to remember the shitty Goldberg and Roman and other things. When no. people really seem to genuinely enjoy this and be entertained by it, the shit talking match is fantastic too. 
It was nice to see the American badass back for one night, and somebody even was somebody even asked me like, why why is he the American badass for this match instead of you know being the dead man? And I thought it was obvious that Alan Jones had made it personal. It was both. He right. he still shot fire and stuff. Uh, he teleported on the grave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He was both in this match. I yeah. think so. now that I think about it, there's only one other small little nitpick, and it's not a nitpick, but. Something small I wish they would have added. When Taker was just beating his ass, he's like, I'm an old man now, huh? What's my wife's name, Alan? I wish he would have looked up and said, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> that just would have been to was, a great degree. Yeah, I was also hoping for a John Deere Green reference, too, when he had the track thread. I was hoping for that. We didn't quite get it. But, <laughs> so, but uh, that's going to wrap up night one, and we'll come back with uh, kind of a comparison with night two after we finish that. But, uh, yeah, the Boneyard match, a great fucking way to end night one. And that is going to take us to night two, WrestleMania 36. Also at the WWE Performance Center and other locations. Started off pre-show match, Liv Morgan defeating Natalia in six and a half minutes. How the hell did they get more time than Cesaro and Gulak, Jeremy? Uh, this was a grudge match that needed to be settled. What are you talking about? How did they get more time? Have you not been following the product, Larry? Like this, this Natalia and Liv Morgan feud has been setting the world. Do you not watch WWE Saturday Night Slam Superstars? This has been setting the world on fire. Yeah, it's probably heavily hyped on the bump. <laughs> I don't know how they got more time. I, I thought it was fine, but. Like it, it was just a match between two women who were available. Steve, your thoughts. All I have to say about this is I was talking to my sister during this, and apparently my sister has a friend that watches uh, the wrestling that's really deep into the wrestling, and uh, uh, let's just say he plays for an opposite team of a team that which we play for. You know, he kind of you know plays for the other team. If you know what I'm saying. He likes guys. Okay, and, uh, he likes guys. You know, you know, he's getting out there. But apparently, Liv Morgan was kind of turning him straight there. That's all I gotta say. All right, that sounds about right. That's all I got. <laughs> my, my my daughter is in the other room here. Hannah, the older one, she texted me because she was watching night one with me. Please tell Jeremy and Steve that the Boneyard match was fucking dope. So there you Hannah, go. Hannah's smart. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Hannah approves. Right. Yeah, I know. I thought this was perfectly okay little wrestling match. I think Liv is getting better, and this is a, uh, you know, Natalia has to be on the card, I guess, because there were rumors that her and Beth were going to challenge for the tag titles, and also feels like that they were available, and we, they just had to have a pre-show match because we have to have a pre-show, even though we're changing mania. But well, hey, they got mania. They get the mania payday though. Which is like a giant fucking myth anymore in the network <laughs> era, so. Even though there are certain fans that want to talk about it all the time, it's like, no, they really oh, don't get the mania yeah. bonus anymore, guys. There's still people out out there tweeting that un- unironically. They really think that's a big thing. Yeah, the mania paradise. So, night two started off officially with the NXT Women's Championship match, Rhea Ripley facing off with Charlotte. They battled for just over 20 minutes, and at the end of the day... The lady big dog Charlotte became the new NXT Women's Champion. And first of all, I will say that I think Charlotte winning was the wrong call. I I don't like it. I think Rhea should have got a big moment here. 
I think it slightly devalues NXT a bit as well. I know why they're doing it, because they think Charlotte on NXT will help them against AEW. But with all that being said, I will say that I thought this was an absolutely great match. They worked a good physical style. Both of them um, worked really well together. I thought it had a strong layout. Good psychology overall. I liked the sense of urgency because felt like they were really fighting at times. And this was a great start to the show just in terms of in-ring action. And I think in terms of pure wrestling matches, this was my show of the week or match of the weekend. Jeremy. The, the, the yelling was a little much for me. Um, I, I think they could have... This is an edited show. They could have turned the volume down on that a little bit and turned the volume up on the announcers a little bit because that yelling was just... It took me out of the match a little bit. That said, great match. I, I agree. It was probably, aside from the, the two cinematic matches, like my favorite empty arena match that WWE has done. I can't actually recall anything that was like, yeah, this was a great empty arena match for WWE. This was actually a very good empty arena match. Um, so I, I did really enjoy the match. I don't mind Charlotte winning because if Charlotte loses, like they don't know how to book her unless, and, and this is like, this is on them. I completely understand that. They don't know how to book her uh, unless she she just has the title or is, or is chasing the title. So if she loses, she's already lost to Becky a bunch of times. She's not on SmackDown. She just lost to Ripley. Like, they probably would have no idea what to do with Charlotte. So they're like, eh, let's just put the title on her. We can maybe give NXT a little bit of a boost. And, and like, there's plenty of women in NXT. You get fresh matchups with Charlotte in NXT as well. So I, I don't hate Charlotte winning. And I thought Rhea looked kind of like a punk in the buildup and didn't even look super great in this match like the the white gear was dumb if you're supposed to be this rebel whatever um so but but yeah i i'm cool with charlotte winning god forbid the 40 fucking writers can't come up with a story for charlotte that doesn't involve the title though yeah i like i agree (laughs) but like that's the thing they can't and so that's why they pretty much put the title on her and then that's why i didn't think it was like this big deal that Rhea lost Rhea's honestly cooled off from this feud because the whole oh i look up to charlotte you know i want to have this wrestlemania moment and all this stuff like didn't you used to have an edge like four months ago like did wasn't there like something special about you now you're just like this charlotte flair admirer it's very weird steve your thoughts yeah i mean i'm with you on that i know larry explained to me about how Rhea's gear is in tribute to some anime character or whatever that, yeah, you see people you people like, told me this too and i'm just like why is this punk rock chick into anime? Like, is that a exactly. thing? Exactly. And even if she is into anime, why is she trying to dress up like some weird <laughs> stuff? I know it's WrestleMania. We have a WrestleMania gear and all that, but it just feels like to me it goes against what her character was supposed to be. And maybe that's kind of the problem going to the build up, like you said, uh, how she now looks up to Charlotte Flair and admires her or whatever. And let's be honest, the reason they book Charlotte Flair the title constantly, constantly is because uh, they're used to Ric Flair being a champion. So we're just used to Flair's holding titles around here. It's just kind of how things go. It is what it is. I love saying that. But uh, like Harry Bale said, it was a pretty darn tootin' good match. I don't really care for a result either. But at the same time, I do like the fact that Rhea Ripley's not going to be like this never-ending champion. Like, uh, you know, Shayna had a ridiculously long title reign that killed off a bunch of people. And I know everybody else likes the Oscar reign a lot more than I did, but she also killed off a lot of people. So you, you put over a youngster like Charlotte Flair, I think it helps everybody out. 
Yeah, now Charlotte's gonna kill off a bunch of people. That, that, Actually, that, she that, won't because they'll, they'll they want to take the title off of her to get her to sixteen title reigns by the end of this year. I was wondering if the NXT Women's Championship counts as long as that a world title, Larry? Is that also count? What does Pro Wrestling Illustrated? I was gonna say, say we're gonna have to confer with Pro Wrestling Illustrated on. Where's Stu Sachs? Can you tell us what this what this all means? I think he retired actually. Yeah, he did. Oh, God, who's the what? Eddie Elner? Is he still over there? <laughs> Who the fuck knows? All I know, I know is it's like uh, the the lady big dog got to eat, man. Got to have another title run, and it's like Jeremy said, it's like they don't know how to book her unless she's involved with the title, and it's it's kind of fucking pathetic when you can't come up with a fucking angle for Charlotte Flair that doesn't involve a title when you have forty writers on your staff. It's like, come on now. And I'm not saying that Rhea, Rhea's outfit looked bad. No. I'm just saying that it did not fit her character at all. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I think I it's I a agree. fair point. Because, I mean, she looked damn good, but yeah. When next up, we had Aleister Black defeating Bobby Lashley, 720 via pin. Went a little longer than I hoped because I just wanted Aleister Black to fucking starch this dude as fast as possible. But I will say that it was actually good. Um, Bobby Lashley is apparently no longer doing leg days because he's wearing the long tights now. Kind of looked like a uh, jacked up ricochet. Yeah, he was in isolation for for two weeks. He was quarantined, so you can couldn't... still exercise in quarantine, Jeremy. Uh, maybe Lashley is just not about that quarantine exercise life. I can't say he's when. taking a, a, a page out of the old Kevin Nash playbook when Nash never used to do legs. Hey, look! If you're gonna learn from anybody in this business, you could pick worse people than Kevin Nash. Yeah. Right, hold on, quick question. Quick question: Was Lana also in quarantine? Well, yeah, they're married. I was told that Lana is married to Bobby Lashley. I was also wondering why her name isn't Lana Lashley now. Have you not seen her TikTok videos? Yes, she was in quarantine. She wasn't going anywhere. She was dancing. I don't know what TikTok is, good sir. I mean, TikTok and Zoom and all this this newfangled technology (laughs) you kids use. I know nothing about it, good sir. They get posted on Twitter. That's how I see them. Exactly. There you go. They're well worth your time, especially when they pop up on the Twitter timeline as well. But but Aleister Black won at 720, and I actually thought this was a good little match. Lashley felt more motivated than usual, and Aleister Black won in the end, and that's all I cared about. Jeremy? It was fine. I I couldn't get into this. Like This is a cold. This would have been – this is the match where kind of like Cesaro and Gulak, you throw that out there on Mania, no one's caring given the story they tried to tell. And maybe they would have told a better story was had they story? actually – yeah, that's the thing. There wasn't. It was just here's a match to do because we can do this match. So I, it was tough for me to get into. I didn't know why these guys were fighting outside of they just wanted to fight each other. And I mean, I guess I can sometimes buy that. But yeah, it, it was fine. There was nothing wrong with the work or anything like that. I just didn't really have an investment into it. Fair point, Steve. Yeah, Lana Lashley also establishes the world's stupidest manager when Bobby Lashley's about to finish this goof, Alistair Black off with a dominator. Lana's all like, oh, why don't you hit him with a spear instead? Even though earlier in the frickin' match, Lashley had run across the ring to a big boot from Alistair Black. But no, no, Bobby Lashley's really, yeah, yeah, it'll work this time by cracking. Sure enough, he runs right into a black mass. Couple of idiots. Lana's never established herself as a good manager. She did nothing to help Rusev. Obviously not. Where was Rusev <laughs> on this show? 
Remember when that? Remember when that was supposed to make Rusev this big, big star? Now that they had this big feud with her, with Rusev and Lashley and Lana, they got all these YouTube hits, and I was told by everybody, "Oh, this is gonna make them all such big superstars." Now, where the where the fuck are they? Lashley, and Rusev's trying to get out of his fucking contract, probably. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they thought Rusev was gonna resign, so that's why. <laughs> I thought it was well, going to make him a big stock. Look, Lana resigned, so... The funniest, they had a few more... Had a couple more zeros, brother. Yeah. The funniest <laughs> part about that whole feud was the fact that Rusev was actually fucking Jedi mind-tricked by Vince and would do these interviews where he was talking about how it was great, compelling storytelling, and you guys just have to let it play out. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let it play out and see where it goes, brother. <laughs> Anyway, Bailey cut an interview talking about her title match, kind of ranted about how it wasn't fair. Sasha Banks was left to be interviewed then and was asked about how bad she wants the title, and she said, we will find out later tonight. Gronk cut an interview. He said he was going to win the 24-7 title by the end of the night. And then we got Otis versus Dolph Ziggler with Sonya Deville in his corner. And at the end of the day, guys... Everything is right in the world. The match was okay. But the most important thing was that Otis defeated Dolph Ziggler when Mandy Rose came out to save the day. And love prevailed. Otis got to carry her out of the arena. He got a big kiss. JBL sounded like a douchebag on commentary. Otis is the fucking man. Strap him up. Have him beat Braun on Friday for the title. Steve, your thoughts? Darren Tootin. I'm all about that. No doubt about it. Uh... One of the better, you know, as much people told me that the Rusev, Lana, Lashley feud was just tremendous storytelling, you know. I was more, much more into the feud of Otis and Manny Rose and Dolph Ziggler. I thought there was, you know, I thought it was a little bit better story myself. I thought they managed to make Otis a very likable underdog type babyface who just had a heart of gold and was just, you know, the cute as a button, I think you could say. And unfortunately, you had this asshole Dolph Ziggler over the other side who is known for his uh, for his way of getting the ladies, if you will. And uh, Sonya Deville decides to. I don't, I don't, did they? Ex- I don't think they really explained why Sonya really wanted Manny to be with Dolph instead of Otis. Maybe we'll get to that at a later date. But uh, they had the big segment on Friday night on SmackDown set it up, where we all found out that the whole text message thing with Mandy Rose and that was all a ruse. And uh, Otis was mad. He was pissed off, and he came out here tonight. And a couple big low blows and what? Just you know, just fantastic professional wrestling entertainment. The good guy wins. The good guy gets the girl. And uh, you know, me and Rick Pitino, we're on that Otis bandwagon. We're all all about this guy. All about the Otis. Fair enough, Jeremy. Uh, I wanted Steve Cook's thoughts on Mandy Rose's outfit. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to comment on <laughs> Andy Rose's outfit. Uh, I'm not sure if what, what are we rated here? What's our rating on this podcast? Uh, I think that we can, I think we can go a seven star Tokyo Dome rating on that. It was, it was pretty fantastic. I'm a big Mandy Rose fan. Uh, let's let's not let anything uh, be unsaid about that. Very very good stuff from young Miss Rose, who has a lot of potential in this business. I, I thought the match was was fine. I, I do like the story, and it was good to see Love prevail. Otis is great. I think everybody's been 
been fine good in this storyline and it's made sense for the most part from the start hopefully man or sonya's explanation uh motivation gets explained but yeah i i was a fan of of all of this especially manny rose's outfit hey do you know when i'm praising something with dolph ziggler involved that's pretty good yes 100 percent because I've been bashing Ziggler for years over here, and you know, <laughs> I've not been a fan of that guy for a very long time. But uh, he played his role perfectly in this whole piece of business right here, and I can't wait to see where Otis and Mandy Rose go next. I would like to see Otis and Mandy Rose doing those interviews on the ESPN, sir. There you go. That'd be good. Well, the thing is, we always hear in wrestling that the best characters are just yourself turned up to eleven, and we all know that Dolph's baseline is an eleven bag of douche. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, this is a storyline where he can uh, excel. And all indications are from anybody who, who you asked that Otis is uh, pretty much Otis turned up to eleven. He is. He's fantastic. <laughs> Telling you, Friday night beat Braun for the title. Otis and Mandy all the way. Have him beat Braun. Have him beat Brock. Have him beat everybody. Just line them up. Have him beat them all. Why not? So we moved on to the last man standing match. Oh, Edge no. and Randy Orton. And I joked on my review that poor Edge and Randy have to follow the culmination of the ultimate love story. They're in a tough spot. Edge and Randy Orton. Edge defeats Randy Orton at 36 minutes and 40 seconds. Now let me say one thing. I think that the best thing they did during this was using the various parts of the Performance Center to change things up from the empty arena ringside area. The worst was the referee would count anytime somebody sneezed and fell down. It became so fucking annoying. This match went way too long. I have no idea why you would book Edge's first major singles match to go 36 minutes in an empty arena. It suffered without the crowd to get invested into the counts, which, again, the counts happen way too often. And the thing is, please let me say this, last man standing matches are a really, really tough puzzle to solve, even with a great crowd and even with great workers. So having it with no crowd, I felt really bad for them. I thought the announcers were horrible here. They gave this match no energy to, like, Oh, geez, they're rolling back into the weight area, and Randy Orton just tried to fuck him with the barbell. Seems like that would be uncomfortable. I mean, they it's were just, just like, as maybe as the rest of us were watching it. I mean, they had all the enthusiasm of fucking Jim Nance calling the Masters. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, and I love Jim Nance, but the Masters is a subdued call. So anyway, I'm not going to say they didn't try. I think they worked hard. I think Edge tried his best to have a big mania moment. I think Orton tried to give him a special return match. And it sucks because the build was excellent. And I don't know if it was a mix of the circumstances or the overly long match or the setting. They couldn't climax this feud properly. And I hate to say this. I thought this match fucking sucked. It was bad. Bad. Jeremy. Um, I didn't like it. I, I think it's still going on. Are we sure? Some Edge say won? it's still going on to this day. It's still going <laughs> yeah, on, just like it's... that Shawn Michaels HP, that Shawn Michaels Triple H Hell in a Cell match in the back. <laughs> it's still going on. Still going on. Just like you said, last man standing matches have their own issues anyway. 
like even with a crowd because it's a lot of knock a guy down count set up the next spot rinse repeat but like with no crowd just doing this tour of the performance center nothing hit the the over dramatic talking and stuff the commentary wasn't good but at the same time with the commentary like what are they supposed to like be cheerful about like if you try to feel like morrow on this i think it would have been just as bad as he's like screaming at the top of his lungs oh, on everything. Worse. yeah like i think michael cole may have been able to do a good job maybe he could have found the balance since it doesn't sound like vince was in a bunch of ears throughout this whole thing but i this was not good like it, it really it really was and i feel bad for these guys because they probably thought this was great and like I thought if anyone was going to say this, like, oh, Edge and Orton, they'll come up with something great. And they couldn't. They they just couldn't. This wasn't bad. This wasn't good. And, yeah, I feel bad for Edge because he's going to be like, this is a big return. He's going to go online whenever he gets online and see all this stuff. And he's, I don't know, it's going to be tough. Yeah, Edge is going to be on Twitter. He's going to be posting that fucking gif from The Simpsons where Homer backs up into the hedges and disappears. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Steve, your thoughts? Well, gosh, Almighty. Um, to be on, I'll be honest with you guys. I was, I started the show a little bit late. Once this match started, I was uh, probably sixty minutes or so behind, and I watched the match for a little while. And I clicked onto the Twitter, and I saw people were all like Gorilla Monsoon and being all like, uh, "Go home." And that's why I decided, okay, let's skip ahead. I don't need to watch the rest of this. Steve, I got a good throwback. For, <laughs> Steve, I have a great throwback for you. You know what I tweeted? What did you tweet? Send Dark City. Yes, the Dark City Fight Club. <laughs> Darn, dude. That would have been good. That would have been good. But when, when everybody in the world is like Gorilla Monsoon, walk, they just walk down the ring and yell, go home. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, so I missed most of this match. No, I don't think I missed too much. You saved yourself. You would have aged. Roman Reigns and Triple H thought this match went too long. Yeah, this was this was the Triple H vanity match done by presented by Randy Orton. Uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of the best way to put it, Jeremy. I mean I'm not going to argue with you at all. That was followed up by the 24/7 Geeks fighting Gronk diving off of the perch and winning the 24/7 title. And that title disappears for the rest of for the rest of the time, I think. Gronk's gonna pawn it, make a <laughs> necklace out of it or something. Yeah, Gronk's gonna get it melted down. I'm with you. He's gonna turn it into some jewelry. Oh, yeah, have it on like the big, beach big and these big yachts and stuff. It'll be cool. Yeah. Are you saying he's gonna go Kama Mustafa with the urn and make a big chain out of it? That would absolutely be big old chain. <laughs> well, I get. So, after that, we had the Raw Tag Team title match, which was the Street Profits defending against Angel Carza and Austin Theory with Zelina Vega at ringside. Champions retained at six and a half minutes, and uh, I will say this. It was short, it was solid, and the best thing about it, it was energetic coming out of that Orton and Edge match. So, I thought it was perfectly solid. I had no problem with it. Steve? I had, I had one problem with it. Not enough Zelina Vega? Well, that, okay, two problems with it. Not Selena Vega. And number two, Montez Ford kept yelling, It's WrestleMania! And that just well, got my nerves. I'm sorry. Was he wrong? Well, he was correct in that it was WrestleMania. But All did, right, then. Did I have to be reminded 15 times during the match? No, <laughs> I did not. 
Yeah, it would have been better times in six minutes. That was a little bit much. He needed I don't know, a little better scripting uh, there. I didn't mind him yelling, but yeah, like just yell something else. It's something, something different. I don't know, but uh, yeah, perfectly fine little sprint match. Uh, you know, they had a real tough time following that Edge and Randy Orton match. They did the best they could with it, and they did all right. You know, you got four young guys here who hopefully. For their sake, have a lot of WrestleManias in front of them. This might be this will be their first appearance. Hopefully, of many. I wish good things for all these guys going forward. I think uh, Angel Garza has a lot of potential. Austin Theory as well, and uh, Street Profits are two fun-loving guys who were uh, joined by somebody after the match, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. That's right, Jeremy. Your thoughts? Uh, it was fine. It was good. Good energy. I like the Street Profits, and Garza and Theory are, are solid as well. It was a short little sprint. I had no problems with it. I just want to say, I think we should all agree that Austin Theory was the true ring general in this match because he has great experience working up the arena matches following his Evolve career. No doubt about that. The Street Profits made some appearances at Evolve, too. So They were I mean, really good in Evolve, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Angel Garza is confused working on his Arena Mexico shows in the past. He's like, what the hell is going on here? So post post match the heels attacked and we're doing the big beatdown of the tag team champions until Bianca Belair made the save, ran wild, laid out Zelina Vega, and according to everything I heard prior to Mania, the plan was going to be to bring up Bianca after Mania. So that looks like this was her start tonight. What do you think, Jeremy? I like it. Uh, I'm all for Bianca Belair. It doesn't she didn't really have anything to do in NXT because they kept making her a failure, which was lame. Um, hopefully they make her better on the main roster. Hopefully she can actually win some big matches like her coming out and challenging Becky. Like that's a, that's a great program whenever they get to it. Bianca is someone who, if she beats Becky, like you can build around Bianca. I don't know if you're building around Shayna Baszler. You can build around Bianca. Yeah. So I'm for it. My favorite part is just Montez Ford was thirsty my man was ready to send Dawkins to the back and just ready to, to go right. I don't even think he cared if Dawkins was out there. He was ready to go. You can tell Dawkins to turn over and face the wall, man. Yeah, he, he really right there. <laughs> so, Steve, Bianca, making making the save, coming to Raw looking like. Your thoughts? I saw. I even saw some people criticizing. Oh well, um, come having Bianca come up and be a valet for Street Profits. Do we have we forgotten already that Lolita was a valet for the Hardy Boys? Do we forget about that? That 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 never happened. Apparently, we've never seen valets come up through the ranks and become great, you know, single champs. That that never happens. Apparently, is what I've learned tonight. So, I think it's a great way to bring her up. She's obviously got some good chemistry with Montez Ford and Angela Dawkins. So, you know, I think it's I think it's fine. And as Jeremy said right there, I think. Uh, you know, if Shayna Baszler isn't going to be the person to beat uh, Becky Lynch, it might be fine for Bianca to do it down the road, and that would make her a pretty big star. Yeah, and I don't mind the Bianca thing at all. I, I like the I like the team up with the Street Profits. It feels natural since she's married to Montez Ford. And the other thing you can do is, I mean, you can feud them right now with um, Zelina Vega and her little stable people. You can work some uh, trios matches there. And the other thing is too is like. Wouldn't be a horrible idea to finally put Sarah Logan with the fucking Viking Raiders either. There you go. 
Because yeah, then, because the Viking Raiders and Street Profits have some decent chemistry, that's a feud they can always go to, and you can get Sarah Logan and Bianca involved. They can feud underneath, or you could do trios matches again with them, depending on how you want to do it. So, I mean, I think again, like you said, it's a fine introduction for her on Raw. She's with an established act, and like Jeremy said, the other thing was there was literally nothing for her to do in NXT, unless for some reason she would have been the one to beat Charlotte, but. I don't think anybody would have cared about that because, number one, Charlotte already beat her and the fact that Bianca had failed at, like, four different fucking title challenges. Yeah, if she got, like, one of those takeover title shots, everybody would have just groaned. Like, ugh, not again. And that's, again, that's not her fault. That is the booking's fault because they booked her as the, she's really good but always loses role. Like the the Lex Luger role. Very good, yes. Lex Luger. I compared Lacey Evans to Lex Luger. Yeah, that's a a good one, too. (laughs) Titus O'Neil replaced Gronk as the host for WrestleMania because Gronk had absconded with the 24-7 title and was on a yacht in international waters by this time. Upgrade. (laughs) Good for Gronk. (laughs) This led to the SmackDown Women's Championship elimination match. Bailey, Sasha, Tamina, Lacey Evans, and Naomi... At the end of the day, even teasing tension between Bailey and Sasha Banks, Bailey overcame defeating Lacey Evans at the end of the day with the help of Sasha Banks. Nineteen twenty via pin. Jeremy, I'll go to you first. Um, the, the story everyone cared about was, was the Bailey and Sasha stuff. Everything else was just uh, window dressing. I thought they were going to tell a Lacey Evans redemption story and they were going to finally strap up Lacey, but no, they moved her again. Uh, she failed the title for her daughter Lacey. again. Oh, poor mom. Lacey is just a complete failure. Like, you just... What, what what's the lesson here? Keep trying. Maybe one day, eventually, five years from now, you'll get it. Like, I Please don't know. Keep grasping, grab for that brass ring, brother. Yeah. Um. But you know, the, they did good with the the Bailey Sasha stuff. With oh, did you mean to hit me? And then didn't <laughs> Bailey didn't make the save, and Sasha coming back out. So all all that was good. And Sasha and Bailey are finally gonna have their singles match in like 2025 at some point. Fair enough, Steve. Sasha Banks is the best friend that Frank could ever have, is all I'm saying. Come on now. I cannot see Bailey and Sasha ever breaking up for nothing. I can never see Bailey and Sasha having a singles match. You guys keep wanting it to happen for some reason. I don't know why. Why y'all hate good friendships? Uh, because I just wish I had a friend like Bailey or like a friend like Sasha because they just seem like BFFs like forever and ever. It's just. It amazes me that people want to see that end for some reason. But, uh, yeah, pretty darn good match here. It could have stood to have a little less time uh, on it. I could have done a little bit less of Tamina. But uh, I thought that uh, I thought Lacey, that mom here, had a pretty good showing for herself. Even if she didn't win that championship, I thought that she had a performance that uh, I, I think it turned some heads. I thought this was solid overall. I thought the layout was good. I agree with Jeremy. The Bailey and Sasha stuff was well done. I think um, I think Naomi, for me, was kind of the standout in the match. I thought she looked really good. My question is, what the fuck do you do with Lacey Evans right now? She had that run on Raw. She got beat like a drum against fucking Becky in every title match. And then she goes to SmackDown, and you think they're going to try to reboot her, and they turn her babyface. And then all she does is lose. I, evolve, I, I, brother. Yeah, she to evolve. <laughs> she can. 
Who the hell knows? She can work Nat- Natalie Markova and evolve for a while. Yeah, sure. But um, I just I have no idea what the hell you do with Lacey right now. It's just uh, the Lex Luger comparison is pretty apt. But um, whenever they get to it, I am pretty excited about Bailey and Sasha because from everything I heard, the plan is supposed to be for them to get a feature SummerSlam match. And um, if we get to SummerSlam and it happens, and if there's people there, and they can recreate some of that Brooklyn magic from Takeover. I think we all know that uh, that could be pretty fucking great. Never going to happen. They're not going to wrestle, Larry. Give it up, man. (laughs) Best friends forever. We went to the Firefly Funhouse match up next. Speaking of best friends. John Cena and uh, The Fiend, best friends, yeah. Darn tootin'. This was um, an experience. Um, I felt like I was uh, Cliff Booth smoking that acid lace cigarette in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> John Cena arrived. Bray arrived in the funhouse. Cena was teleported to the funhouse. He then entered the wacky funhouse and puppet Vince McMahon was there. Bray then started doing the old Kurt Angle challenge promo from the Ruthless Aggressive Aggression Cena debut. Cena was transmorphed into wearing boots and tights. They kind of did a mockery of the segment. Pretty Bra- sure those are the same boots and tights from back then, too. I don't, I don't quite remember, but still, he's wearing the boots and tights. and They fit pretty tights, why is that? The highlight of this <laughs> segment was not only did they mock that, but Bray is mocking Cena for almost getting fired. Cena's trying to hit him and missing, and Bray starts singing fucking Nikki Bella's theme song. Yes. The Buzzard and Puppet Vince McMahon were on commentary as they did a Saturday Night's Main Event promo spoof with uh, Bray doing Hogan. And he was introducing, I guess, his tag team partner, which was Cena arriving and lifting bar like weights like a madman to 80s montage music. His arms stopped working and then he turned into Thugonomics John Cena on the SmackDown fist stage. They did more stuff in the ring with Cena rapping to him and making fun of Husky Harris and shit like that. And uh, blowing they called him a slut. Yeah, a slut for opportunity, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Bray does like a... Uh, he, he calls like a, He does like the after-school special speech, calling John Cena a big bully and horrible person. This is where I felt like I was fully tripping on acid. Bray then went back to being... Uh, Wyatt family Bray. He attacked Cena the wheel, uh, the fucking uh, chair. Uh, he was gonna give him a chair, and they talked about the Mania match from six years ago, which was a big part of that match. He then disappeared, and he turned into Eric Bischoff in WCW on Nitro, introducing Cena doing a Hollywood Hogan fucking cosplay. Yeah, that, okay, I didn't get that part at all. Which included was, Vince uh... McMahon saying it's good shit. So then Cena has a flashback. He ends up beating up fucking Huskins, leading to the Fiend arriving, the Mandible Claw, Sister Abigail and Mandible Claw, and then Bray appears while the Fiend is beating the shit out of Cena and counts the pin. Yeah. It was as trippy as it sounds. Steve Cook, I go to you first. Your opinion first. Well, I mean, the main comparison for this match, of course, So when we're talking about two nights, you're comparing the Firefly Funhouse match to the Boneyard match. That's what we're going to be comparing the match to because, you know, you had, you had two cinematic-type deals on different nights, so that's what we're looking at. This was crazy. 
Uh, much like Titus O'Neil, right after the match, I don't know what I just saw. Uh, I thought it was very apt for Titus to say right there, because I think that's what most of us were thinking. We weren't sure what we, what we just saw there. A um, lot of a uh, lot of humor, a lot of inside humor as well. Just uh, two guys going going uh, old school with the humor, the funny haha. You had the uh, you had the building issue from WrestleMania 30. You had the story of John Cena, pretty much, and uh, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice little escape from reality, which I was talking about the Boneyard match being the same thing. Like these guys were more of an escape from reality than anything else we saw on this show. So I, I enjoy, I enjoyed the match. I wouldn't put it on the same level as Undertaker and AJ, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I might even say it was good shit, pal. And uh, good on Bray for doing the Nikki Bella shout out. I like that. I did laugh at that. I will admit, Jeremy, your thoughts. This ruled. Uh, this look. I'm with Cook. the The cinematic stuff is is so much more of an escape because people want to watch entertainment right now. They don't want to watch people wrestling in front of nobody. Like when you watch the wrestling in front of nobody, to me, I'm like this is just a reminder of what used to be. Like you're just throwing this shit out there just to get through it. Like th- this is not an escape at all. This stuff, the movie stuff. It, that's what it is. It's like a movie. It's like a television show. That's what people want to watch right now to get away from everything. This ruled. I loved everything about it. The you didn't the the NWL stuff. Cena turned heel. That was the that you know for years everybody wanted to turn heel. He turned heel right here. That was what the NWO stuff was. This is look, deep, complex. Yes, deep, what? complex, layered what? storytelling. Oh, dude, you just, my, you just blew my fucking mind. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, th- this was amazing. Jesus Absolutely okay. amazing. All right, it- I'm on board. All right, we're good. We're good now. I mean, I'll give the Boneyard match seven stars. I'll give this match six. All right, deal. <laughs> It was like, this is your life played out. Look, John Cena got paid like $5 million to do this. Didn't even have to break a sweat. It's like, oh, it's just shooting a movie, except it only lasts, uh, the shoot is only for a day. John Cena, much like uh, those before him, the one of the smartest men in wrestling, much like Nakamura and Sami Zayn. Uh, I, I loved everything about this. I was concerned about some of his veins coming out of him, though. He's still jacked, brother. When he's flexing, there's some weird veins like in his heart areas. When I was not sure about, look kind of creepy. I don't know. All right, fair. Um, I guess I'm going to be the odd man out on this one. <laughs> I um, listen. I'm not gonna lie. It was very creative. I found parts of it amusing. I'm not gonna say I never laughed during it. But for me, I kind of felt that this missed the mark as much as the boneyard match kind of nailed it. Uh, for me, and again, this is his personal preference. I think if you love this, that's fucking great. Seriously, I'm not going to shit on anybody for liking it. I think it's awesome if you love this. For me, the Boneyard match, I just really liked it because I was really captivated by that. I was really, I got invested into it and I enjoyed it the whole time through. While this one, it was like, it felt like a long Saturday Night Live skit and I kind of just wanted it to end after a while. I'm not going to say it's not creative. I'm not going to say it wasn't amusing. And I can appreciate them for doing different stuff because I think they needed to during this show. I think you needed to break up those matches. And as you two said, you need to kind of give people a reason to forget about things. So again, I'm not going to argue any of that. Mileage is really going to vary on it because I saw people that hated the Boneyard stuff. 
and then there's people like us that like love the two, and then there's people like you guys that absolutely love this. And I just, I don't know, it just it didn't hit the mark for me. I mean, I'm glad Bray quote unquote won, and hopefully they figure out what the fuck to do with him going out of this because it feels like they really have no clue. Oh, so, I have no idea what to do with him. I, 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 I have no clue. Sorry. This is what you do with him. You do this type of shit. Okay, but do you really trust them to be able to do this kind of shit and actually keep it interesting going forward? With anybody else other than John Cena. That's the other thing, too. Who who else are you going to do this with? Roman Reigns. You don't have as deep a stuff to dig into with Reigns as this. They, they got the never anybody but you, Roman. You can do something with the four WrestleManias, how he, he failed at two of them, and then did, had the terrible match with The Undertaker. You... You, you can do any of that with Roman. All yeah, right. they're going all inside with with the Bray Wyatt stuff. Like the, you see John Cena shooting shooting John out here talking about Husky Harris and how Bray Wyatt's just a failure and all this stuff. They'll they'll go in. Dude, they did the good shit pal line. Like they'll go inside with that Roman stuff. This is I, I, I'm kind of with Larry in that I don't see it working with anybody with most most other people other than John Cena. I don't see it working well with Roman Reigns. I don't know what to do. I mean, do you have a few with Braun Strowman? I mean, I, I mean, there's a few past there too, but yeah, I, I don't know. May not love future, but it worked right here. Don't get me wrong, I loved it, but uh, I'm with Larry, kind of wondering where do you go with it. They can well first. They're not going to go anywhere with it because <laughs> this is just what they do. I, but I think if, we know. <laughs> yeah, I think if they wanted to go somewhere with it, there there's certainly enough people on the roster who you can do some some weird stuff like this. The problem, like I'm with you. The problem is there's I don't know how many people they're going to put in this position. Roman, they can put in this position. Would it work? Who knows? But they they certainly have the material. Undertaker is another guy. Like, where else are you going? Like, Kevin Owens? But he's on Raw. Like, on SmackDown, there's just not a lot of people you're, you're going to put in that position. They've already kind of burned through that stuff with The Fiend. Like, Brian would have been a good one, uh, but they, they, they burned through all that. So that I do agree with is they just don't have a whole lot of people they're going to be able to put in this position. I will say that I wish they would have done one. I saw an awesome idea on Twitter. And uh, Jeremy, I'm trying to remember. Did you ever? Did you watch like Buffy and Angel? No, I watched some Buffy. I didn't watch. Okay, where you're fucking horrible human being. But there's an awesome episode <laughs> in Angel where I know talking he, about. he gets turned into a puppet. Yes. Veda Scott had the best idea. Said that they should have started fighting in the Firefly Funhouse and got knocked to like a door, like through a portal. And mm. when John Cena and the Fiend came back. They continued to match his fucking puppets. They should have been puppets, yes. I was all in on that one. You can you can do a bunch of different stuff with with this. Like there's there's no rules because when the funhouse match was introduced, we didn't know what it was, and then John Cena comes out at the performance center, and you're like, wait, he's just gonna have a match? Like we didn't know what this was gonna be. It turned into an acid trip. Like there's no rules with any of this stuff so you can you can put anyone in this situation it's just a matter of all right are we going to care about it and can you get enough material out of it to care like john cena it obviously works like you're not throwing uh, shorty g in this position but like there are there literally are no rules when it comes to this stuff yeah and i I do want to say one thing because i keep seeing 
the biggest complaints against this stuff, and again, I wasn't a big fan of this one, but the big complaints I see about people want to pigeonhole and go, this isn't pro wrestling. And I kind of disagree with that because I think the best thing about pro wrestling is that pro wrestling can be several different things. Mm-hmm. From hardcore matches to technical matches to the gimmick matches to the different characters. Pro wrestling isn't just defined by one thing. Now, granted, you may like one version of pro wrestling over another. Like, I don't particularly get into death matches. But I know that there is a fan base that loves death matches. And that's cool because that's what they like. So, basically all I'm saying is, and like I said... I didn't like this one. I like the Boneyard thing. But you guys loved it, and I think it's fucking awesome, okay? Because you enjoyed it and you had fun, and that's kind of all that matters. So it's like, this is the point I want to get to, that don't kind of pigeonhole pro wrestling as it has to be one thing. It may Some things may not be for you, but that doesn't mean that it's not part of the kind of wacky world of wrestling that we all love. And again, for as much as I may not have liked it, I greatly appreciate them trying to get creative, trying to do something different, and trying to make these shows entertaining. Because it's a really fucking weird time, and nobody knew what to expect out of these shows. And the best wrestling shows are always the ones that have a little bit of everything for everybody. Like, if you don't like the high-flying X-Division type guys, you like the big brawlers in the next match. Or, you know, if you don't like the woman in this match, you'll you'll like the... uh, you like the other guys in this match, or you like the death match. If you don't like the death match, you like this kind of match. It's the promotions that do the best over the years are the ones that have they don't fall just into one style where everybody's doing the same thing over and over again. It's a little something for everybody. Exactly, and here's the thing: it's like I love watching like Will Osprey and Hiromu Takahashi. They do fucking insane shit, and it's awesome, and I will enjoy it every fucking time. But I will also just as equally enjoy. Shingo and Ishii beating the fuck out of each other for 25 minutes. It's a completely different thing, but I will love them both because they're awesome. And that's kind of the joy of it. Jeremy, You, you don't add- want a whole card of either one. Exactly, exactly. And Jeremy, you want to add anything else to this little uh, sideway discussion here? Uh, yeah, three things. We're talking about death matches. Shout out to the Japanese deathmatch legend, original death dealer, Luther. Uh, number two... On the, like, the enjoyment stuff, like I'm with you. If you didn't enjoy it, I get it. I can understand why someone would look at this and be like, this just isn't for me. Like I tweeted about the, the Edge and Orton match. I was like, this is just bad. And I had a couple people in my mentions who were like, I'm really enjoying this. You know, horrible human beings. I don't understand what's wrong with you. But I'm glad you did find some enjoyment in that match. Like I couldn't get into it. But hey, people out there apparently enjoyed that match. So, you know, good for them. And the third thing is... And I think this just kind of settles everything. This isn't pro wrestling. This is sports entertainment, pal. Get the fuck off my podcast with that sports <laughs> entertainment bullshit. This, this, isn't, sports this is not the 411 on sports entertainment podcast, you asshole. I think it's time to get to the main event, good sir. <laughs> All right. Main event champion Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre. It lasted four and a half minutes. It was every big match Brock these days. We had like five F5s, Germans, Claymores, and at the end of the day, they made the right call. Drew McIntyre beat Brock Lesnar. Again, I thought it was the right decision. Uh, the only thing I really just hated about it was the fact that Drew McIntyre finally gets to his big moment, and it's in fucking front of nobody. I just felt really bad for him. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad he got the moment. 
Yeah. Sure. Uh, the, I mean, this was the Goldberg and Braun Strowman match. They, they had the exact same match for their two major titles, which kind of goes to show just like who they put in these two matches. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of weak, honestly. I, I don't like the circumstances suck, and that's not their fault. But they weren't going to work this long match. Brock ain't working this long match. I, I don't even want to see Brock work it. Like he can work the long matches with AJ, Brian, Rollins and those guys, but like against Drew, I, I don't know if that's gonna totally work. And yeah, Drew wins and it's in front of nobody. And I was just like, I'm happy for this dude, but I just feel like nothing for this moment. It I it's supposed to be like this huge moment, this huge coronation, and because it's in front of nobody and there's no pyro, there's no big thing it, it's like, okay, it happened. Let's, it's just very meh to me, and it sucks, but that's that's the situation we're in. Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with, uh, I mean, uh, Jeremy and I agree on that 100%. It was the same freaking match that Braun Strowman and Goldberg had, like, blow by blow, the whole thing. Like, the script was exactly the same, except, you know, you, you substitute Claymores for Power Slams and F5s or Spears or whatever. It was, this, it was the same match. It, uh, Are you it telling was, me the 40 creative minds at WWE lack creativity in this instance? Just a touch. Okay. Just a touch. Fair yeah, enough. I just, just wanted to make touch. sure I had the point clear. It was a little bit longer, but that's because they worked it a little bit longer. <laughs> they t- they killed a little more time between moves, apparently. But, uh, yeah, and I'm with both of you guys. I mean, Drew McIntyre deserves it. I mean, he's he's worked his way up the ranks. He's busted his ass for many years. And I have no problem with him being WWE champion at all. And at the same time, it, it sucks that it happened in this particular circumstance at WrestleMania that... Uh, you know, we'll be remembered for a couple of different things, but the main thing we'll be remembered for is the fact that the, nobody was there to watch and celebrate the moment with Drew McIntyre. So I, it's just, it, le- it left me cold, to be honest. And I think that's a fair point. It's also very unfortunate, though. That's the and Drew thing. tried to play to the camera there for a second. I appreciate that. He, he tried. He tried to reach yeah. out to the people. It, He's like Dusty Rhodes reached out your hand, touching my hand. For a second there. It's hard to reprogram the robots, brother. Yeah, Drew tried for a second, then he went back to the staying on the corner. So, excuse me. Um, so th- to close out, we need to kind of we're to do kind of what we do with like AEW and NXT, where you kind of do the night by night comparison. Steve, I want to go to you first. What did you think of night one overall? Score out of ten. Hmm. To be honest, up until the, I mean, for most of it, is kind of kind of trending low to where for me a lot of the early matches were just kind of there but once you get that boneyard match going and i thought that owens Rollins did pretty good i liked the i thought triple threat that liar match was all right i think i'm gonna go a little bit above average i'm gonna go if if there was no boneyard match, the score would be a lot lower but since there was a boneyard match i'm gonna go uh 7.5 Fair enough. Just because of Boneyard match, pretty much. Jeremy, your thoughts on night one? I thought night one was really good. They they closed well with the Boneyard match, and that that was a big thing. Like if they close with Braun, probably takes it down a little bit. But they they closed the right way with the Boneyard match. Um, some good good matches overall. They started well with the tag team match. And 
overall, night one was good. Maybe some questionable finish decisions. I, I know people were, were throwing that out there, some quote-unquote flat finishes in front of nobody. But the action was good start to finish. It felt like it went by fast, which was great. Like, you know, WrestleMania is usually like eight hours long, and this was done in like three hours, maybe a little over three hours. Like, perfect. So I'm a big fan of night one. Yeah, uh, score out of 10? Um, I don't know, 7.5, 8, right. added numbers. Fair enough. You know, it's like I looked at Night One, man, and you know, there were a lot of people that went into this show planning on shitting on it, and they shit on it. And I'm not going to lie, I had a lot of concerns going into this. I saw people call it not only the worst mania of all time, but one of the worst shows they ever saw. And all I can think was, what a complete fucking exaggeration. When it was all done, I thought Night One of Mania, against all the odds, it was a good three-hour show that I enjoyed, and quite honestly, in this time of uncertainty, that's all I could ask for. I gave it a good 7.0. I enjoyed Night One. So, we're going to go on to Night Two. Steve Cook, what did you think about Night Two? Anything big takeaways, score out of 10? Well, I'm going to tell you there's nothing on the level of Boneyard match. That's still the tops for the weekend, the tops for the tops for the year, tops for the decade. I think we've decided that's a match of the decade so far. We're pretty early in the decade, but I think we can go ahead and say that. But, uh, you know, the highlights for me on part two, you had the right finish with Otis getting the big win and getting the girl. That was uh, the absolute right thing to do. Um, you know, the, Drew going over is the right thing to do. Um the Firefly Funhouse I loved was fantastic, you know. And, but there was a couple other things in the show to drag it down. I didn't care for Black and Lashley. I didn't care for I, the the Charlotte Rhea match was really good, but the decision was just nah, kind of brings that down a little bit. And then you had the three hour Edge versus Randy Orton match that drags it down to uh, I'm going to say about a, maybe a six or so. Fair enough. Jeremy, what are you thinking on night two? I It had the best match of either show, so so that's a boost for it. The the Funhouse and Boneyard stuff, like that they kinda they were both great in my mind for, for different reasons. The closing was weaker just because the Drew moment was was super flat, uh, given the circumstances. And the the Edge and Orton match, look, I thought that dragged uh, this whole thing down. Like if that's a great match. I'm putting night one. I'm putting night two on par with night one. But like, this was a big match. This was honestly the match I was looking forward to the most because their promos leading up to it was great. The the backstory, the history, everything about this feud, Edge's return, like it had all the right elements to be this great match. Except it was a last man standing match, and then they they did what they did with it. So that drags down pretty big in my book. So I'll say like a five point five. Fair enough. Again, we just talked about night one. I thought it was a really enjoyable night, and um, I thought it was smartly laid out overall, had a good run time. Uh, night two for me, I just didn't think it lived up to night one. I thought some of the matches went way too long, like we talked about with Edge and Orton. I thought overall some of the quality, um, uh, nor just the, some of the match quality didn't live up to the other match quality. I thought... While I thought night one had some good highs, and while night two certainly had that high for me um, of Rhea and Charlotte, for the rest of the show, and again, this is for me because, like I said, you know, Jeremy and Steve really love Firefly Funhouse. 
I wasn't in that same boat. So for me, after Charlotte and Rhea, it felt like really downhill after that. I, I didn't think it was horrible. I'm going to go a five on it. So I also preferred night one overall. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it can't all be winners. I just think that uh, there are some instances like that Edge and Orton match where WWE cannot help themselves. Booking something and trying to make something an epic doesn't guarantee it's going to be an epic. You just kind of have to let it happen sometimes. And just because a match was long doesn't make it good. I mean, for fuck's sake, Okada looked at this match and was like, boys, dial it down a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, it may shave a few minutes off or so. I don't know. But uh, is this, uh, didn't, didn't Wrestle Kingdom also have a stronger night one? Uh, yeah, I, I gave night one a better score than night two, but I thought night two was also an excellent show, though. Well, there you have it. I mean, we see a trend with these shows where night one is, in fact, the superior show. Lessons to learn. And I hope and I hope going forward in future years, one thing I really, really like about this year's WrestleMania, it wasn't fucking 10 hours and over over three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we'd just now be starting this podcast if Seriously. WrestleMania yeah. was... So I'm, I'm oh all about this right here, yes. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm not going to lie. I would fucking love two-day WrestleMania because I just I think it works much better. The other thing is, too, is you can do one of two things. You could either trim up the cards and add the takeover matches to Mania to make them stronger. Or, knowing Vince, you can just fuck with some of those indies and run TakeOver Saturday afternoon. There you go. And then run a Mania Saturday night and one Sunday night. But, I mean, I would be all for them. All for them splitting into two nights. Now, again, it might not work. I mean, you know, Tokyo Dome, obviously, they sold more tickets night one than night two. But they still did, like, fucking 90,000 tickets overall. For two nights, which is pretty successful. I think WWE would do very well. And, I mean, but the other thing is you have to lay out the cards smartly so that night two doesn't feel like a letdown. You have to balance them out, which is why I would advocate cutting a bunch of the weight and just putting takeover matches on it to balance them out. And then, you know, I just think it would work out much better. I would rather see... I would rather lose takeover to get two WrestleManias and have two very well done four hour shows than a great takeover and like a fucking shitty eight hour show. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's like the last couple of years we've seen all oh, NXT took over takeover stole the show on WrestleMania weekend, you know, because WrestleMania is for 18 hours and completely killed anybody's buzz for life in general. And real so. quick, the thing in the past was people would always tell me, you can't put takeover matches on Mania because not everybody watches on the fucking network, Larry. Not everybody's a wrestling geek like you. Well, you know what? Fucking NXT's on cable TV now. So there's really no excuse for that. Yep. I, I think NXT matches should be on all of the big four shows. I mean, they, they've tried it a little bit with Survivor Series. They tried it a lot with Survivor Series. Yeah. Um, and then they, they put the NXT women's match on this. Like, I think all of the big four, you should have... NXT matches and then you because NXT takeover is running like they they ran the Portland show separate from any other WWE pay-per-view like they're running their own shows and I wish they would just go back to brand split pay-per-views as well even you can keep you oh we'll do hell in a cell we'll do money in the bank and we'll do it 
for for both brands just on different months or whatever like i just want like three separate brand split pay-per-views and then you're also getting the like the big four where where everybody just comes together and and that's my perfect kind of wwe scheduling not opposed to that at all i also think while you're if you're going to revamp the pay-per-view schedule like i have no problem with money in the bank because it plays in the storyline and that is a show that you could also co-brand. And that makes sense. Or tri-brand, whichever you want to do. The thing I would do is get rid of bullshit like Hell in a Cell. Because they have completely devalued Hell in a Cell. Yes. I want to see Hell in a Cell when it fucking matters. Because when there's it was, a feud that's been built up enough for it to mean something. Yes. Exactly. Because it was a once great um, stipulation that just became a gimmick that was drawing at the beginning and now has drawn less as the years have gone on because, okay, we're to get two Hell in a Cell matches. They may be good, they may not. Who the fuck knows this year? So. But we'll see what they do going forward. I think that, again, I think Wrestle Kingdom proved it can work. And, like, Jeremy and I, I think you remember, Jeremy, we talked about this. I think Vince sees that and goes, well, God damn it, we're the WWE and this is Wrestle fucking Mania. We can do it better than them. And they yeah, probably sure. can because they're the biggest fucking wrestling company in the world. And if you combine that fucking roster, there's no reason you cannot put on two excellent shows over the weekend. You can you can do two great four hour shows. I'm fine if they go four hours. Like it, it's WrestleMania. Two four hour shows are better than one eight hour nine hour show. It, it just it gets to be just too much by that point like sometime even though wrestle kingdom shows they'll go like five hours and they're always great start to finish but by the end of it i'm still like all right i don't need five hour wrestling pay-per-views anything over four hours and i just start to check out so the fact that these shows used to be eight hours i don't know how we survived any of it. it it should be two days and i don't know if they can make that change as soon as next year that seems kind of wishful thinking but at the same time they might have a lot of time on their hands in the next couple months to to kind of figure things out and uh, mm-hmm. get get things in order. And a lot I, of time to think. And I do agree with you about show length too. It's like we we talked about that when we talked like about Wrestle Kingdom and other shows. To have a great four plus hour pay per view, you have to have a lot of great and not a lot of filler on those shows. And that's part of the reason Mania has kind of failed in the past few years is because you have a lot of rando shit like Lashley and Black. Which, again, while it was good, would have absolutely gotten no goddamn reaction in the stadium. So I just, again, I don't see why you don't trim the fat. I'm sorry, Mania is not a fucking participation ribbon. Not everybody should be on this show. I'm so sick of, but we need the Andre so that they can get a bonus. Listen, I think Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins are cool fucking dudes. But they're fucking jobbers right now. They don't deserve anything. Okay? I'm you know I'm what I mean? Fine if you do the fine if you do the Andre and the the women's, you just throw it on the pre show, get everybody on the card, whatever. Like that that's cool with me. But yeah, the main card matches like you want there to be some meat in those matches. I want all killer, no filler, brother. That's all I want. You're yeah. you're telling me WWE tells me they're the best fucking wrestling company in the world. They're the biggest wrestling company in the world. We have the biggest roster in the world, and some of that stuff is true. Fucking show me then. I'm sick of looking at this warehouse of toys you have and all these great fucking talents that you're not using properly. There's no reason the show shouldn't be better. The sad thing is during this whole coronavirus bullshit is the fact that Raw was actually good a lot of weeks. Why? 
because they changed up the promo style and they actually let some of these motherfuckers like Edge talk like a real person. And then they showed really good classic matches. And there was focus on these shows. Just do that. It's not hard. You have so many smart people behind the scenes. Do it. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add. That's my little rant for the evening. Not really. I, I think I think we covered it all, man. <laughs> God damn right. I think we're good. I think we're good, pal. I think we got it. I think we're in the we're we're doing good. Jeremy we got to figure it out. Jeremy, it was a pleasure having you back, buddy. It was it was good to be back. I hope I'm welcome back anytime. I'm more than open to being back anytime. Uh, I don't know how much new wrestling we'll have the preview, but. <laughs> Plenty of old stuff that, that I enjoy. You guys ever want to talk about the Doomsday Cage match? Like, we have actually talked well, about wanting to do that show. There. We will let you know. We'll probably get there. Every that that's that's one of my, my favorite matches of all time. So yeah. Love the Doomsday Cage match. Yes, you there are we of course welcome back as always. Uh people have been asking about you, so I'm glad to have you back. Glad you had the time. Good to reunite the three of us. Jeremy, give a a quick shout out to all the stuff you're doing uh now that you're not doing this regularly with me. Oh my god. Um I'm still writing at 411, writing at Fightful. I do have my own podcast. If you truly do miss me over at Fightful, uh, the distraction with some English fellow who he's going to bury this, uh, bury the Boneyard match. He's, he's like Larry with the, the Funhouse match, just not having fun in the Funhouse. So we do like that whole. Steps, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We yes. do that whole whole gimmick. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm always busy. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy Lambert 88. All right, Steve Cook, anything you want to close with before we go? I should also point out that if you do check out that podcast, you get to see the video feed with uh, Lambert's lovely beard. He's beard gimmick. He's <laughs> My quarantine he beard. He looks like that poor guy. I'm a little worried about you. I, <laughs> are you eating? Are you okay? I mean, Look, I'm not shaving this thing until the you know things get back to normal. So it might get kind okay of with that. <laughs> Yeah, as long as I trim my mustache, she's all right with it. Like she doesn't mind the beard. The once the mustache gets out of control, she's she's not a big fan of that. But uh, she's okay with the beard. She tells me I need to get a haircut, but I mean I can't really do that right now. Okay, I was a little worried about you, so I'm glad to hear you're doing all right there. But of course, you know, check me out all my usual places: Twitter at stevecook84, and of course all my stuff at 411man.com. Got a nice column up there uh, Sunday which was yesterday at this point, about the Boneyard match, which pretty much saved my interest in wrestling, to be honest with you, because all this empty arena stuff was killing my will live. But I saw that Boneyard match, and now I'm happy, I'm good to go again, and I'm loving life. Now we'll get back to empty arena matches to kill our will to live. Although I did like that one of Shotzi Blackheart. I liked that. I thought, I thought Shotzi did a good job there. Steve's a big Shotzi Blackheart fan, as you can I see. I am. That's very on brand for Steve Cook. Absolutely, it really is. Uh, yeah, that's a. I'm a. I'm going to be covering all the regular stuff as long as it continues to happen. Steve and I will be doing the regular stuff. I got uh, Jerem Kisan joining us on some shows to cover Dark Side of the Ring. 
Ian Hamilton is going to record some stuff with me this week. Kevin Pantoja is going to uh, be recording stuff again with me. We're going to continue to have uh, lots of podcast stuff for you. Combination of current stuff and retro reviews. I was very glad to have my good friend Jeremy back tonight. Very glad to talk to my good friend Steve Cook. We had a good time. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Also, as far as extra stuff, I think I'm going to start filling the gaps on some of the Evolve stuff I missed because it was running against all the uh, other other shit I had to cover. Don't do that to yourself, Larry. God damn it, Jeremy. I'm gonna, I need something. To, and there, there's actually people at these shows. I've seen it on video. It's real. You did. He has a benefactor, an evolved benefactor. <laughs> you did. Who may or may not be Malcolm Givens. I'm not sure. That's my, <laughs> that's my theory on that. You did the live coverage for the Dream Match Mania, which was great. I, I cracked up <laughs> so hard reading that. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I sat there and Ashish had sent me an email and I looked at Christy, that's my wife, guys, and I was like, um, I kind of had my head down. She goes, what's wrong? I said, I think I've dropped to a new low. And she <laughs> goes, why? I said, well, Ashish has emailed me. And she goes, is everything okay with the site? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, he wants me to cover a show Thursday afternoon. She's like, oh, what is it? I'm like, uh, Dream Match Mania. And she goes, well, what the fuck's Dream Match Mania? I said, um. It's video game simulations of dream wrestling matches in WWE. And she goes, she goes, so you're going to review video game matches. I said, yeah. And she goes, is it on the new video game? I said, yeah. And she goes, didn't that suck? I said, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the worst part of it all is it was the WWE 2K20 game. Like if you do fire pro, um, threat level midnight, (laughs) I think black label pro was going to run threat level midnight this weekend for me. And they had like Haku against, uh, Tom Baller booked for that show. And they did their the whole show, but they did it on Fire Pro. And like great. Fire Pro, you can have these awesome matches. But yeah, WWE 2K20, those matches suck. Well, here's here's the main problem I had, and I did feel like I dropped two on Elo, but I will do things for money. Um, the thing <laughs> is, is th- that show was fun because of like Big E and some people. But what yes, I really felt yeah. was like they simulated these horrible matches, and all I can think of was. <laughs> You couldn't pay Xavier Woods and fucking like Tyler Breeze to game out these matches for you and make them good, right? I, I'm fine they if they simulate them. But the simulations were shit. The best thing was yeah. one. I tell you what, the best thing was I fucking died at 1988. Ric Flair squashing Seth Rollins with like three power <laughs> drivers working a fucking 2020 takeover match. <laughs> nice. Steve Ric Flair hitting a pile driver a minute in, hitting high crosses and elbow drops. Fucking spectacular. The mane flying in the wind. Oh, Seth this Rollins is... has been crying his eyes out over that too, I'm sure. <laughs> I think I think Seth Rollins is doing all right for himself. Um crying well, on tell him that. Him. Tell him he's doing okay for himself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the two K twenty simulations are bad. They should have had Xavier and Breeze like without uh, anyone knowing, like actually playing this game and just like putting on these five star classics and stuff and, and having these near falls. Because yeah, every match was like six minutes and it was just all one sided. But the commentary fuck. stuff was good. Yeah, the commentary was fun. Like I said, Big E after he lost to Goldberg was tremendous. Yeah. You brought me here. <laughs> to job to Goldberg in his four-minute match. <laughs> the, 
then he was uh, bitching at the dude from the bump, Steve. He was like, Macoon, I'm going to fucking create you on the game, and I'm going to job you out to everybody. I'm going to film it, and I'm going to send it to you, and I'm going to make you watch every one of them. <laughs> he was just going nuts. It was Big E in his best form. Now, I had a question. You mentioned this threat, this, uh, this uh, was a Black Label Pro, the Fight Level yeah. Midnight, or whatever the hell you said it was. Yeah. I was just wondering if they paid the Good Brothers for their appearance in those video games. Did Haku get a payday from this? Is what I was oh, I don't know. Uh, you, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope black so. Black little pro promoters. I hope you. I hope you're giving these guys and gals some of some little money on Listen, the side. I don't know about anybody else, but I can pretty fucking guarantee Haku got a payday. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. If I they weren't gonna get one, he probably got one on his own accord. Mikey sure. at Black Label Pro values his life a little too much. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I hope these guys are getting some money. That's all I'm saying. That would be nice. But uh, no, guys, seriously, thank you for this. I appreciate it. Like I said to everybody listening, we're going to have a lot of stuff coming up. We're going to keep things rolling uh, every late Wednesday, Thursday with the usual Wednesday podcast. Going to be mixing in the retro stuff. Again, I'm going to have not only Steve and again, Jeremy, hopefully will pop back in at some point. Going to have Ian Hamilton um, Kevin Pantoja back as well. Uh, Jerome Kisan. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff, covering a lot of things. Hope you guys enjoyed. I want to thank everybody for listening for, to tonight's show. This has been the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube and subscribe. Follow us on social media. Share us around on social media. Um, we're on every major podcasting platform. We greatly appreciate everything you guys have done to support the show. I hope you had a good and enjoyable WrestleMania weekend. Wash your hands, shut your ass, stay the fuck inside, and stay safe. Love you guys.